Hey, what's up, ecosystem? Welcome back to ATI Auto Business. It is live carrier advice. We're back. Uh, we've taken a bit of a break. Just, man, so much going on. But uh, Brian is here with us, I'm happy to say. Standing, standing, waiting in the wings, waiting in the truck. Um, and so let's do this uh, just before we bring Brian in and get your questions ready. I'm sure you've got something going on. Other than loads and rates, I mean, we could talk about loads and rates, be happy to. But if you've got a burning DOT question, a regulation, a news article, uh, something you want to talk about, that's what we're here for. And you can click share, click copy, grab that YouTube link. Look at that live chat just going crazy. This is what happens when you take several weeks off um people get used to you not being there so but we're, we're you know this may become more of like a monthly show i'm not sure but it's not over it's not over until it's over and we still have brian with us so let's go ahead and do this let's do this properly give brian the drum roll please do welcome brian Riker, your dot guy brian can you see me and hear me okay yeah i can jay how am i coming through on your end Good, good. All right. Yeah, I don't have my normal headset. It's not working today. I know. So, and I'm coming to you from the inside of a hollow metal tube known as a uh, City Master van. So, oh yeah, <laughs> hear me. You're in a city because you. So you are. I mean, you are as busy as ever driving, delivering. What's been going on? A lot has been going on. We had a couple of trade shows since we last talked. Uh, it's end of year, so the dealership, even though vehicles are scarce, the uh, uh, customers want to take delivery before December 31st for their tax credits. And so the driveway portion, moving all the new tow trucks and car haulers is extremely busy. I won a big client, so I have full-time person and a part-time person developing a whole bunch of material for a uh, large client and I'm actually sitting in the parking lot of a smaller client about 30 trucks uh, I just got done doing a mock uh, DOT audit for them uh, so it's been very busy uh, you just made me think I'm sure that uh, by the way we have in the live chat some of our old friends we've got Fritz what's up Fritz David of Two Bears is here. What's up, David? Howdy, howdy. Long time no see. Yeah, it's great to see you guys. Thanks for tuning in saying hello. Um, so, I think, because when I talk to Sue, and it's December, you know, you're busy, and you're talking about things going on, and maybe, like, rush before the end of the year. But do the load boards reflect that? This year is anything but typical. So... No, the load boards aren't showing your normal November to January freight spike where everyone's trying to get everything off the books before the calendar year ends. Um, the latest report that I just heard, uh, general speaking, not necessarily auto transport, but generally speaking, uh, truck volume is still up compared to number of loads available, which is part of why we're seeing depressed rates out there. So we're uh, we're in anything but a typical freight year right now. It doesn't seem like anything is is very typical uh, for some time now. So I guess that shouldn't be surprising. But Ty and I talk a lot about 
you know, your 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 single owner operator, small business startup that is struggling, right? Uh, and I I mean I've seen it in the live chat. Hey, my trailer's parked. My trailer's parked. Are you seeing that? Yes, I am. Sadly, I am. And and, uh, a couple of long-term clients of mine have decided to go a different direction and no longer be carriers. And several short-term. Beginning of the year, I did a whole bunch of operating authorities and probably 70% of them are no longer in business with uh, one made it just over 90 days. and unfortunately, these folks are not alone. This is happening uh, in all segments of the trucking industry, not just auto transport. Uh, costs are out of control. Rates are not increasing to reflect appropriately what our costs are. And the motor carriers left holding the bag. So a lot of uh, owner operators and small fleets just can't handle. I, I have one fleet that uh, was at a peak of 26 or 27 trucks and they're down to four active trucks and drivers because it just didn't make sense to maintain the entire fleet when most of the trucks were losing money every week. So then do we go a couple ways here. We could talk about people, the people losing work or, or losing jobs or facing equipment taking a loss in equipment, or we can talk about the customers and clients that are finding it harder to get things moved, assuming that's true. What, what direction do you want to go with this, just as far as talking marketplace? Because Ty and I talk about how we don't, we're not sure if the clients know this is happening. We don't know what they know. No. To a lot of the clients... They're not seeing anything other than maybe a different driver than what they're used to seeing at their facility if they even pay attention to the driver. Um, I don't think there's a slowdown in getting freight of any type, cars included, moved right now because there's excess capacity on the market. Even with companies going out of business, there are still more trucks and drivers available than there are loads to haul in most markets. So your client isn't seeing anything. The brokers, they're probably noticing a struggle in getting high quality operators. Um, So to the client stuff's moving and it's still moving at a rate that they're used to paying, which is part of the problem because the rates have not adjusted to reflect our true cost of operations. So the carriers were the ones that are struggling and, and noticing costs are up, parts availability to repair our vehicles are still difficult. Three years, almost three years into this COVID mess, we still can't get spare parts. Certain size tires aren't even being produced right now. And so, yeah, the, the burden right now is on the small business motor carrier more than any other segment of the transportation network. If you're, if you're a business owner, can you explain some of this to a client and that's why you're raising the rate? Will they be able to accommodate or do you think they'd push back? What, what do you think is happening? Well, if you have historically had a good relationship with your clients, then yes, 
if you get your work from the load board and a lot of spot market one-off type of freight, no. That rate that they're offering is their all-included rate, and they know that somebody else is going to grab it up and haul it if you don't. But I've always recommended that we have our own direct client relationships, and they're facing pressure just like you are cost of heating their building, the cost of purchasing their cars at auction, all of that is adjusting. So if you have a good working relationship, they're going to understand your costs are going up. And as long as you're not trying to increase your costs to also increase your profit margin at the same time during these difficult times, you should be fairly successful in getting a rate increase. Um, Now, when we get into larger deals, rates are negotiated a year or more in advance. And the only thing that adjusts is your fuel surcharge. So you may be stuck in some contracts that have rates that were set uh, before the market started falling apart and the economy started falling apart. And then uh, maybe that's a blessing. Maybe that's a curse for you. But if you're going out to negotiate rates currently, your rates need to reflect actual true cost of doing business, but be prepared to defend that. You can't just take a guess that, well, I think it's worth a dollar a mile per car, but why do you think it's worth a dollar per mile per car? What is your insurance? How much has your insurance increased over the last time we discussed rates? What is your cost of truck? What's it going to cost to replace your equipment? And on and on. If you can truly justify what your rates are then you should have a much easier time in getting a rate increase but if you're just arbitrarily grabbing a number and you don't know what your true cost of operations are you're probably shooting in the dark you're not going to get anywhere i like uh actually so that you just made me think even though i mean this is you know tough news i guess if you could compare the price that you paid for certain things then and now and calculate that percentage of increase now you've got hard data to bring to your client your customer and i suppose it makes the the squeeze on the load board even tougher because yeah the those rates are just as or not as negotiable as they always were which is going to feel even harsher now absolutely and as we get more and more carriers and please this is not meant to insult anybody But as we get more and more carriers to become desperate just to generate cash flow, even though they know that they're losing money, they're going to take that load at a losing rate just to generate cash flow to try to hold the repo man off one more month and hope that things are going to get better next month. And if that's you, it's already beyond time to park your equipment and come up with a different plan. Um, And that's not meant to be mean. It's not a reflection on you as a person your business model just didn't work and uh, that happens i've failed i've lost everything i've gone damn near bankrupt and had to start over again it happens uh, it's part of the risk of taking a business most new businesses fail so but yes if you compare year over year costs and then you're trying to increase your rates by that percentage the difference your client's probably going to be a lot more receptive because when they sit and look at their own numbers, they know that the cost of electricity for their building went up. 
They know the cost of fuel in their fleet of vehicles that they operate or their personal car went up by that much. You're going to ask for a reasonable increase. Increase. It's when you have no idea what your numbers are that you get in trouble when you start asking for increases. So I'll ask this then. Let's say you have to park it because I've wondered this. But if you have to park your truck and trailer because it's not working out, what what steps might you consider? What do you need to start shutting down insurance and authority? I mean, what do you do? And then what 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 should you look at to see where to go next? Well, that's a that's a very timely question because that is probably the number one question I have received since about October is, hey, how do I shut my authority down? And the first thing you have to really consider is your equipment owned and do you plan on trying to hold on to it to start up again at a later date or are you going to park it and sell it or are you letting it go back to the bank because that's going to dictate what you can do with insurance because if it's owned you don't want to park it without insurance because then you could lose it should somebody vandalize it it catch on fire it gets stolen if it's owned and financed and you're just saying, well, I can't even afford to be on the road, but I can still afford to make this truck payment and you want to just park it. You're still going to need insurance on it to keep the bank happy or they're going to put their own insurance on it or they're going to use that as a violation of your uh, uh, finance agreement. And they're going to repossess the vehicle because you're not protecting their asset. So you have to decide first and foremost, are you parking and selling or are you parking and retaining to use again later? And then that tells you whether you can just flat out completely cancel your insurance or if you have to talk to your insurance agent and come up with a reasonable compromise to keep that vehicle protected. And then if it's not properly insured to be driven, obviously you have to surrender your registration plates, which may be a problem where you're going to park and store your equipment if you're not allowed to store unregistered vehicles. So you got to make that decision first and foremost. Am I just parking and walking away? Or am I shutting my trucking company down and I'm going to lease on to another carrier? Then that's a whole different set of uh, considerations. So once you've decided what you're doing with the equipment and how you're going to physically protect it if you're maintaining ownership of it, then you wind up your operations and you get the equipment to where it's going to sit and you don't have to operate it for a business purpose anymore. And you notify your insurance company that, you're shutting down. That's going to trigger a 34-day waiting period. It's 30 days minimum by law. They have to give notice. So it takes about 34 days from the day you say, I'm done. Let me cancel my insurance before it's actually canceled. So don't expect to just shut down December 31st and tell them December 31st and not still pay your January insurance premium. That's not going to happen. So you got to keep your insurance company in the loop so that they know what's going on and they know when you plan on ceasing operations. If you tell them too soon, they're going to send out that 30-day notice, and then no broker is going to load you. So if you're trying to work out the last 30 days, you're going to have a very difficult time if you let your insurance company know, say, December 1st, you wanted to stop December 31st. They're going to send that notice out because they're required to. You're going to have a hard time getting loaded by about the second week of December. So be prepared to pay an extra month of insurance. Once the equipment's parked, insurance is notified, then you file with the FMCSA an updated biennial update or routine update to your MCS 150 saying you're out of business. Then you also file an update for your MC number saying you are out of business. And then whatever 
state accounts you have, like New York Highway Use Tax, New Mexico Weight Distance, Kentucky Utilities, you would file your out-of-business notifications on them so that you don't get penalized for failing to file when you do your next filing. Um, and then uh, lastly, you preserve your records. You have record retention from anywhere from six months to seven years, depending upon what type of record it is. And so you put that away somewhere safe. That way, when the DOT auditor or the tax auditor comes knocking on your door two and a half years or four and a half years from now, you can show them the records that they want. Because remember, your tax returns, they can audit them several years after they're filed. And it normally takes at least a year and a half to two years before they get around to, to auditing a return. So you have to keep these records just because you're out of business doesn't mean you can put that all in the trash can and forget about it. You with me so far, Jay? Yeah, I'm going to ask you this then. Let's say you are thinking that you need to shut it down. Um, from the time you make that decision to the time that you've fulfilled your obligation with notifications, etc., how long do you think that takes? Anywhere from a couple of days to a month. Uh, if you're, if you decide I'm home Friday and I'm done, this is my last day out. You can start working on your records and probably have all your notifications filed uh, within two business days. But if you're out on the road, it's going to take however long it takes you to get home and into a safe place to shut your equipment down. Because the last thing you want to do is have your insurance lapse while you're on the road, because then you're not legal to drive that truck and you can get some severe penalties should you get pulled over, should you get involved in an accident. Don't make the bad situation any worse by trying to uh, run outlaw once you don't have insurance and don't have operating authority. So make sure that you build in enough time from when you're going to let your insurance go to get your equipment parked and get somewhere safe. Pretty fascinating stuff. Um, let's jump in the live chat. Silvermint asks, Hey, I participated in a level one last night. No violations, but the trooper said I should sign the report and mail it back. Even though the report says otherwise rookie trooper, or should I do it? And Fritz adds, if no violations, no need to sign and mail in. Correct. The report will tell you when you have to mail it in. And it, if there's no violations, you do not have to submit the report. Um, it doesn't do any harm to sign a copy and mail it in, but you're not required to if no violations were discovered. Um, the trooper may have been trying to tell you to uh, sign it and turn it into your motor carrier, and he may have not expressed that clearly because the motor carrier still needs to keep a copy of that report, even if there's no violations on it. But no, you're not under any obligation to mail it to the address in the middle of the form for whatever state it was in. Thank you, Brian. Um, let's see here. Fritz is talking about uh, cents per mile, buck a mile. We're going to come back to that, Silverman. But uh, David just asked, do you go to the same place you do your biannual to cancel your authority? Yes, you will. Uh, and I hope you're not paying a service for it because it's something that can be done for free. So you would log in to the safer uh, registration update site. And there's a bunch of options listed there. So you log in with your uh, uh, US DOT number and DOT pin number. You'll need your uh, EIN, your tax ID number as well. And 
one of the boxes, just like where you click for, I need to do a routine or biennial update. One of the boxes is an out of business notification. So you click that and basically you're filling out your MCS 150, verifying all the contact information is still correct. Uh, but you're going to be just checking the box that says you're out of business. And then that gets notified immediately. Then you go and you download a copy of the out of business notification, which is the MCSA one or used to be the OP one, the operating authority form for your MC number. That one you have to physically fill it out, which you can do online. And then you have to physically print it, sign it in ink, and then scan it back into the computer and email it to FMCSA or fax it or snail mail it. I do not recommend the snail mail option because they're not getting processed quick enough. So email or fax it back to FMCSA with the out of business notification for your MC number. So even though it's the same agency that issues both numbers, they go to different departments. So you have to send in two different forms to notify them you're out of business. I'm going to pull up. Oh, go ahead. And it's important to make sure you make that notification. Because otherwise, if you have an active USDOT number, and if you're just if you're going to be shutting down and you're going to be shutting down soon, you might want to do it before December 31st if you don't think you're going to make it through uh, uh, 2023. Because it's only a few dollars, but it's a few dollars less that's saving you. If you have an active DOT number, even if you are not operating any trucks you're still obligated to pay the unified carrier registration, the UCR fee for the entire calendar year. So if you're waiting till over the Christmas holiday to decide whether you're out of business or not, you're going to pay your UCR because it's due by December 31st. And then if you don't run trucks at all in January, you just wasted $43. Uh, it's not a lot of money, but every penny counts when you're winding down an operation. On the converse, uh, if you don't pay it because you're not operating trucks and you didn't get around to shutting your DOT number down until January, February, they can, and in some cases do, come after you with a civil penalty for failure to file your UCR because you have that obligation. So you want to cease all your obligations for continued regulatory filing as soon as you know you're out of business file your out of business notifications and the same and i can't speak for individual states but the same can be true to your business entity if you formed a corporation or an llc or anything like that check with your state because they will have unique requirements for a final tax return or some other out of business notification that if you fail to do penalties and interest accrue and you don't want to you really don't want to make the bad situation worse with extra penalties uh let's see here we're halfway or well, over halfway through i've got some uh you know at this point i don't know if straps are really uh as interesting as usual although this what do you think of this picture brian this was sent in by i can't remember who sent this in can you see it well yeah i can see it <clears throat> um First of all, I don't like the way the over-the-wheel, over-the-tread straps are installed. That idler that 
hooks back into the deck needs to be much closer to the tire. That strap needs to hug the tire and that should be almost under the wheel front and back side of it when it's so it's going up and over and pulling straight down on the tire. Mm. The whole purpose of that style strap is to just increase the friction the uh, between the tire and the, and the deck to hold it. So I don't like the way that strap is installed. It's not installed properly. And now I'm looking at the big yellow strap that looks like it goes what up and over the spring. And then, uh, yeah. And so there's no edge protection in there to prevent it being cut. Well, I appreciate the extra securement because of the weight of that vehicle. That's a heavy vehicle that's on the trailer. And so it's aggregate weight may exceed the weight ratings of the over the tread strap. Since most of your over the tire straps are, somewhere in the 3,500 pound range, give or take a couple hundred, depending upon manufacturer. Uh, I appreciate the extra securement, but it needs to be installed properly or it's still a DOT violation. And if DOT sees cuts, frays, or abrasions on that strap where it's making contact with the spring hanger, then they're gonna say that strap is useless. And even if it wasn't required, you will still get a violation for defective securement on your surplus securement. So if you're going to do something extra, make sure it still meets industry standard so that you do not end up with a violation for it. Because the argument DOT makes is, well, we don't know which one of those straps is actually extra. So we have to treat all of them as if they are required securement. Thank you, Brian. Uh, oh, how about this? I uh, found this interesting on I-40 heading east through Arizona, I couldn't dodge, no pun intended, all these three-bed, two-bath potholes. Now my dash is lit up like the 4th of July. My trailer brake stopped working momentarily, too. Pulled over, checked the fuse box, make sure all my connections to the trailer were good, drove to the truck stop, check engine light is the only one still on, and my trailer brakes are working again. So am I going to have to go to the dealership? Do you all have some insight where I can check? and do this myself thanks in advance there was a lot of comments on this <laughs> well it, it sounds like must have had something make and break connection a couple of times to trigger something in cases like this sometimes you can get away with just disconnecting the battery for 15 20 minutes and resetting it um inspect all of your wiring harnesses especially where they connect into and through the firewall the body control module stuff like that because you might find a loose connection that those three bedroom two bath potholes brought to attention and i always try to go to a free source before i go to the dealer so most of your auto parts stores today will plug in a diagnostic scan tool and tell you why the check engine light is on. Not all of them have the tools that can handle the uh, diesel motors in these uh, 35 and 4500 series trucks. But it's always a good place to start with a Advance, an AutoZone, an O'Reilly, something like that that has a free, we'll check it and tell you what it is type of service before you pay a service technician to plug in and reset it and say, all right, drive it and see if it comes back on. But unfortunately with the way these computers work, sometimes that is your only option to get the light to go away is to go to a service center and have it reset. One of the reasons I, I chose to shed light on this was that I thought, uh, you know, it's as if there's not enough problems to deal with. In running a trucking business but then you've got additional random stuff that can really eat up your day 
and your thought process and your time. Which brings me back to, you know, Silverman talking about justification of a buck a mile, somebody just throwing that out there. I mean, I don't know how you calculate all the considerations that you're going to, all the factors that go into the recipe of what it's going to take to build a profitable trucking business in today's marketplace. I don't know how to wrap my head around that. Well, it's like you would calculate for any other business, but what makes trucking more difficult is we have a lot more variable expenses than other businesses. Your, your typical retail store, they've got a fixed cost for that building. A lot of times your retail space even comes with all the utilities included. So you know you're going to spend $1.50 a square foot for your retail space and that covers your lights and your heat and your air conditioning and the plumber when the bathroom plugs up and all that trucking we don't have that so your first year or two of operation it really is just a best guess at what you're going to spend but after that if you have good detailed records you can look at what it costs you to operate for a trip then for a week and for a month and a quarter and a year and what did you do during that period? How many vehicles did you move? How many miles did you drive? Because for some people, the per mile model is going to work. Some people, the per day cost and profit model is going to work because they do a lot of little shuttle work. Um, it means collecting the data and knowing your business to come up with what goes into it. But what goes into it is everything. And we have to be careful not to commingle. So we don't pay our wife's cell phone bill from the trucking company unless she's working for the trucking company and it's a legitimate expense. You don't buy dinner for the kids from the trucking company's money because that's not legitimate. So everything that you earn, everything that you spend, including what you pay yourself for doing the job and you should get paid, not just what's left over is mine. Everything, including a reasonable salary, for yourself, for what you do as a driver, a mechanic, a dispatcher, all of it. And then that's how you figure out what it costs you to run your business. And then you look at how many miles or vehicles or days you average and you divide it out and that gives you a base rate of where to start. Then you add your profit to it because the profit isn't just what's left that goes in your pocket as the owner. You need to be paid a reasonable wage for what you do, and your company still has a right to make a profit above that. So if it costs you, and again, just odd numbers, if it costs you 90 cents a mile to own and operate your truck and pay you and benefits and all of that, and you want to make a reasonable 15 or 20% return on your investment, then it is going to cost you $1.18 a mile or whatever is what you bill at is what you your minimum charges to move a vehicle or whatever uh, and again these are just random numbers that are not based in reality they're just for ease of uh discussion so only you can decide what goes in there but it's everything that's involved in it from the ream of paper you buy at the staples or to walmart to the ink for your printer that you use for printing stuff uh to a proportion of the internet connection at your house or a proportion of the floor space of your house for where your office is set up that's all a cost of doing business that goes into this 
I got about 10 or 15 more minutes of stuff we can talk about. I didn't know what your time frame was. Yeah, I'll give you a few minutes, sure. All right, cool. All right, I'll take a few minutes. All right, so let's see here. Um, ELD mandate stuff. I don't know. Where are I? You know, I I don't need to be right, but there's a reason I have ELD punch. Because I've never... I, I, I realize, you know, we want hard data. Everybody does right? I mean, we're talking about that on this show that helps understand your business. But the ELD thing, <laughs> it's just, it just seems like it's over crazy. Well, am I wrong? ELDs, several years in, have been proven ineffective. Highway crashes have continued to go up as they've clamped down on hours of service compliance. Violation rates of hours of service have not really changed much from pen and paper. Just different violations are being recorded now. Um, ELDs are a great fleet management tool when you have a fleet. And if I was still running 15 or 20 trucks, I absolutely would have ELDs and GPS tracking and all of that on my fleet. As the owner operator or the one, two, three truck fleet, there is no cost benefit to having an ELD. Then it becomes a personal choice. Do you want to use a computer to track your hours of service? Because a lot of people actually have come to like them instead of the old pen and paper logbook. Or do you want to just use a simple pen and paper record keeping system? So ELDs have not met the targeted goal of reducing highway crashes. They have not worked in managing fatigue because the hours of service rules are the problem, not the method we use to document compliance with the rules. And FMCSA has begun to realize this, but whether they're going to do anything about it or not remains to be seen. I'm going to share then. So I saw this. Uh, yeah, so you've got a veteran trucker asking for a personal five-year exemption. Have you you've seen this story? There, there's actually several individual truckers that have filed various versions of a exemption based on their safety record for the length of time that they've been driving. And the FMCSA is not going to grant any of them because you can't, even though you have an equivalent means of safety because you've got a 15-year veteran with no accidents, no incidents, uh, that doesn't demonstrate that what you're doing it meets an equivalent level of safety, and it should, but it doesn't in their eyes. Um, so they will never be granted. They're never going to give an individual an exception from hours of service because they have a good safety record. They should. It's something that should be considered. If we look at our brothers down under in Australia, you can take some special uh, uh, training courses on fatigue management, subject yourself to an annual sleep study, and you can get a special version of their commercial license that allows you to drive up to 16 hours in a day instead of their standard 11 or 12 hour limit. Their hours of service are very similar to ours. And so that's a pay to play. You can drive a little bit longer if you're willing to pay. Um, but you have to have a safe record to even begin to apply for that. And something like that should be taken into consideration here. We should have probationary periods where hours of service are relaxed the longer you drive with a clean safe record but that could be a whole series of shows in itself right there uh final piece is uh 
Oh, actually, I wanted to talk about truck parking. I've got speed limiter proposal. All right, so what's going on with the speed limiter proposal? Oh, it was resurrected from the dead. It went away for a couple of years, but I guess it didn't completely die. And uh, it's a priority of the current administration to cause congestion and clog up our highways. Uh, And the best way to do that is to put speed limiters on. Um, I'm being facetious there, but only yeah, slightly. But what is the deal? I mean, how? As, as, the deal I, is a misunderstanding. Is it, when you right. look at the standard right. crash report that a law enforcement officer fills out, there's a box if speed was a contributing factor. And speed is often a contributing factor in motor vehicle crashes, whether it's cars or trucks. We understand that. Um, there's a box driving too fast for conditions. When we look at this together, they'll say that in 70% of truck-involved crashes, speed was a factor. But they don't go any further digging into the data because they don't want to. It doesn't support their position to see that it was the non-commercial vehicle that was exceeding the speed or had the unsafe speed or that speed was a contributing factor, but the speed that the crash happened at is still well below the thresholds that they're proposing of 60, 65, or 68 miles an hour for a speed limiter. So having all the trucks speed limited to 68 miles an hour on the highway is going to have zero effect on the vast majority of the crashes that happen at speeds below 55. So it's just another problem another solution in search of a problem that does not exist. And this is what the regulators and the so-called safety groups can't seem to understand. A, speed differential, having cars and trucks going vastly different speeds, is ludicrous. You're a former California resident. You've seen the 55-mile-an-hour trucks and the 75-mile-an-hour cars. It is dangerous. Yeah. Well, there's plenty of lanes, luckily. This is why everybody hates I-80. Mm-hmm. Want to hate I-80 more? Say yes to speed limiters. Exactly. And it will drive you nuts in the future. It, yeah. it, exactly. And, and again, I can't draw, believe this. To draw from our uh, brothers down under, Australia, depending upon which part of which state you're in, are speed limited from 52 or 55 to 62 miles an hour on their trucks. And it causes all sorts of traffic congestion out there. So this will cause traffic congestion. This will not reduce speed-related crashes. And in fact, in the FMCSA's own data, they have hidden in there that it's likely to increase rear-end collisions between non-commercial vehicles, rear-ending slower-moving commercial vehicles. Absolutely. So this is a bad idea all around. And really, and and this is where, so like, when I hear people talk about four-wheelers, so... Newsflash, I don't think the average person knows that they're the average four-wheeler. No. A four-wheeler is not a dune buggy or quad runner. A four-wheeler is the average... It's the average non-commercial vehicle. Anything else on the road... That is road raging. It's constantly road raging. People constantly road rage. They just do. I, it's now part of the. It's it, part it of driving. And, then, and what what's even worse is they've done studies to show that 
everybody thinks that they're a good driver and they the number one comment is oh i'm fine i'm just worried about everyone else around me and realistically most motorists on the road are not competent enough to do what they're doing to drive the vehicle let alone all the other distractions i'm uh, i'm involved in a distracted driving summit that's going to do a presentation to 13 different state uh governor's offices in may and the amount of distracted driving has severely increased the uh the confidence in the average motor vehicles operator's own skill has increased disproportionately to the actual increase or actually i should say uh, conversely, their confidence in their skill has increased as cars have become easier to operate, but their actual skill has decreased uh, uh, in, in the same proportion. So we have less physical skill operating these modern cars that go faster. You don't even realize you're going that fast that are simpler to operate, but still require the same basic skills. And this is why we're having problems on our highway, because we view driving as a right, not as a privilege. Well, and I mean, it's it's proof that on the speed limit issue, because just with, just with dealing with four-wheelers, uh, and which, I mean, I, I guess I would count as a four-wheeler. But yes, I don't consider myself the smartest driver on the road, which I meet <laughs> daily. I meet many of the smartest drivers on the road that day. And uh, when you have a smartest driver on the road next to the, I don't know why you're driving so slow driver on the road. It does feel like somebody's going to get killed. And yes. that's what we're talking about with these speed limiters. Somebody's uh, going to die. You are going to need undercarriage protectors to collect all the dead bodies that keep slamming into the back of that truck. Yes. Yes. It's a horrible idea. And instead of regulating the problem, they regulate the only thing that they can, which is the commercial vehicle, because otherwise traffic laws and rules are a state's rights issue. Pretty wild stuff, man. Um, all right. Well, perfect. Now that I've got your temperature up and your blood pressure up, you're ready to hit the road. Yes. <laughs> I'll go do some road raging myself. There you go. Look out for the smartest driver on the road. Coming soon to a highway near you. Brian, um, man, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I think at this point, we're, we're let, let's just assume this is a monthly show right now. Um, I mean, I love this show, but I, you know, I, I don't know what's going on. Nothing will slow down. And <laughs> uh, until I can hire more staff at ATI, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed. That that's the that's the same thing here. And literally, I brought on this administrative since, since the last time we spoke. I've moved into a professional office building that comes with a receptionist at the front desk, a conference room, and I hired awesome. a part-time administrative assistant who uh, also works in that building for someone else. And I've hired a full-time content developer to help me actually put my material together mostly for this big contract I won, but it's going to benefit all of you because I will be able to write the DOT for dummies book and stuff like that. Now. That's awesome, man. And, well, that's great. And I'm looking forward to, and I hate to say this while everyone else is struggling, but I'm looking forward to 2023 great. because it's going to be a good year for me. Um, 
partially because I will be spending less time playing truck driver and more time to develop the rest of my business and really get serious about helping you all succeed and at least hold on to what you have. And I feel awful that I've lost a bunch of customers this year, not because I lost customers. I'm going to be okay. I feel horrible for everyone that put their heart and soul into this. And I know what it's like to fail. I've fallen flat on my face a couple of times and it's devastating. And so I'm here to help you the best I can. And that's what we're here at this channel for whatever segment of the industry you're in. We're here to help you. And sometimes that help is to help you decide not to enter right now or to walk away. I've probably have talked more people out of starting a company, which I make no money on, than I have agreed to help them get started in the last three months. I'm looking at the calendar and I'm thinking, uh, okay, so let's do either the 11th or 18th of January as our next show. Okay. And uh, so I'll, I'll touch base with you at the beginning of the year. I mean, that's great. That's great news, Brian. I mean, I know everything is bittersweet right now. Um, yes. And so we just have to kind of, everyone's just doing whatever they got to do. Um, so if this show has helped anybody in any way, figure out what to do next. That's our goal. I put email your DOT question on air at yourdotguy.com. Feel yes, free and, to um, contact And we, 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 just, we just launched season two of On the Road with Your DOT Guy, my uh, semi-irregular podcast. Uh, I, I'm about as consistent with that as we have been with this show lately. Uh, first episode is up. That is on work-life balance with a wonderful woman out of Wisconsin who owns a uh, heavy-duty towing and repair service for trucks and a couple other businesses. And it, it helps us figure out how to balance our work and our life and, and the emotional issues that we face as truck drivers. Um, in episode two, I just submitted the post i don't remember what it was but i was rambling on about something for about 20 minutes uh uh, that should uh that should drop any day now and i'm hoping to have a couple of more guests and another good season of the on the road with your dot guy podcast to try to help if we can get something out there that makes you think of something that allows you to survive in this market then it's my pleasure to do so Awesome. Well, thank you, Brian. Thank you so much for another great show. We'll keep in touch, and I'll see you next year. Thank you, Jay. Thank happy you so holidays. much. All right, happy holidays to you, buddy. Thank you. See ya. All right, see you. Take care. All right, um, I'm letting Brian go. My camera one turned off. This is technical show, technical issues, whatever. So I'm just going to say goodbye here. Thanks, everybody. Have a great end of the year. We'll see you next year, and let us know how we can help you. Take care, Brian. All right. See you, buddy. Here comes the uh, splash. We'll see you next year. Thanks. (laughs)